0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is R.C. Peck. Uh, he is the person behind FearlessWealth.com. Uh, he is a master practitioner of NLP and a certified financial planner, has helped people invest for many, many years. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, R.C. It's great to be here. Thanks. Just give us a brief history of your uh, uh, how you've gotten to where you are today. Let's put it that way. Brief history. Um,
2: parents' money stolen when I was a teenager by their financial advisor. Super curious how that happened. <laughs> didn't, yes. didn't want it to happen to me. Um, uh, let's see. Graduated college studied Asian studies, lived in Asia selling medical software, hardware, loved it, um, made enough to not have to work again for quite a long time. I came back to back to the States, really, and I wanted to figure out this money thing, specifically investing. I kind of saw how it could go sideways and really hurt people. And so I really just kind of dedicated and became a student of what, what is really going on, not not what sells well or what sounds good, but what actually really works. And so I just did a super deep dive into investing and I just, because I have a dyslexic brain, I started moving into price charts and understanding that I think price is really the answer that most people are looking for. How do you understand price? How do you read price? And so that that really got me here and I started, you know, helping investors figure things out when they, when they couldn't, right? When they did everything they thought they were doing right, but they were still kind of struggling or worrying. So I
1: kind so of took a picture, and you've been helping. You're an NLP master practitioner, in neuro, neuro-linguistic uh, programming, right? How That's does right. that impact your ability to, to be a successful investor and teaching other people about that?
2: Look, every decision we make happens first with a feeling in our brain, right? So there's only four feelings: mad, sad, glad, and afraid. And even if, half, even if we've lost half of your viewership or listeners right now, because I just mentioned a feeling word, the way the human brain works is really important because that's what determines what we buy, how long we own, what we buy. Do we get out? Do we get in? Do we get in, out, in, out, in, out? Like, it all has to do with what's going on between the ears and the wiring that has been put in place. So if you don't understand that, you're kind of missing everything, and NLP is kind of the the software to our brain so if people want different results it almost always means they've got to kind of update that wiring
1: and how do you update your wiring so that you don't get thrown particularly the emotions of greed and fear in the markets how do you not get thrown by those emotions
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's not that you don't get thrown, but so there's two things in there. You said, how do you update or how do you shift or change your wiring? That's one question. Then there's how do you then start to deal with these big feelings that come up? Um, so the, the first answer is we create the world we live in by the words we use, right? So if someone uses the words, oh my God, the market crashed yesterday, that's going to have a very different experience to that person's brain then, and let's say they're both in the same symbol or symbols, then someone else who says, oh, the market was down 2.72% yesterday, right? So they're using different words. They had two different very experiences, even though, you know, the market was down for both of them equally. One used words that create trauma and drama and scaredness and fear and maybe madness and sadness. And the other person used words that were kind of sterile, that it's very hard for that other person's brain that said the market was down 2.72% for that brain to get scared. Right? Because the brain just hears that and goes, oh, it's down 2.72%. So in answering your first question, the first is what words, and we we don't even know, know the words we're using, right? I mean, it's happening mostly unconsciously, um, but we're reading other people's words. Market crash, you know, end of this, end of dollar. Those are words that create, experiences in our brain so most people are just super unaware of the words they're even using and how much trauma and drama and loss it's creating for them and i don't remember the second one.
1: <laughs> oh, how do you manage it well, but, I mean, um, you know the emotions yeah. particularly fear and greed uh, i mean warren buffett always says you should be fearful when everybody else is greedy and vice versa it's easy to say but hard for people to do how, how do you overcome those normal emotional highs when things are up and lows when things are down?
2: Yeah, so one thing I've noticed is when people read a book on money psychology or they hear, you know, um, a deck a billionaire or a cent a billionaire say some words, you might agree with it. But when you're in the moment and you have the experience that you're running for your life, um, you're not loading up like. Well, what did Warren say again? I should be backing up the truck. Like you're running for your life. No. Um, so it, it it doesn't really help to know these things. And there have been so many cases where people who actually have literally written the book have been hurt the most because knowing this stuff doesn't actually help. Um, but I think your question is: So what do you like? What do you do? How how do you kind of get under this? Is, is like the, the feelings and the emotions, right? Yes. Well, so the first thing is to identify the feeling or emotion. And there's only four, right? So are you feeling mad? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling glad? Or are you feeling afraid? Now, I just want to pause and say most of the people that I've worked with over the last 23 years are adult men <laughs> over the age of 45. And so some men are really triggered by even doing this. They think it's too woo-woo, too Dr. Phil, too Oprah. Um, that, that's fine but this is actually how the human brain is working. So when you identify the feeling, first of all, just by identifying it, and there's actually deep science around this. Like I was realizing this a couple decades ago, and then the uh, FMRI machine, functional MRI machine came out, and it turns out even if you just say the word out loud, like, Jordan, I'm feeling really scared. Like if someone says that out loud, what, what, these functional MRI machines see is blood flow actually decreases to your amygdala. Your body actually calms down simply by identifying the feeling a calmer brain provides a better decision-making brain, right? You're not running from the thing with big teeth. You're just like, Oh, I'm, I'm feeling really scared. And that alone, now that's not the end of it, but that alone identifying the feeling is going to start to bring yourself back online.
1: It's interesting that three of the four emotions are negative. Glad is the only kind of positive one. Yet, in the long run, the stock market does well.
2: And if you don't outrun the saber-toothed tiger, right, or the thing trying to kill you a thousand years ago, like think about what got humans here. Did glad get us here? No. What actually got us here was vigilant looking in the tall grass for the thing that might kill us, right? So there's a lot of useful information to the brain that comes back like, why are we mad? Why are we sad? Why are we afraid? Afraid being the strongest of those three. And I often use the word negative too, but I'm always like, they're not negative. We've called them negative, which is a word. They're the ones that actually got us here because I'm sure that a 1,000 or 10,000 years ago, the humans that were running a lot of glad, a lot of happy, they're all dead. And they, they didn't, sorry, they did not procreate as much as the people who were really vigilant about being safe. So This is you know, truly the survival of the fittest, is what you're talking about.
1: This is very Darwinian. Were the ones
2: that were, exactly. The ones were really designed to look for what could kill you.
1: Okay. So uh, let's kind of take it from there to the the general stock market. You have views on these things. We've had an enormous bull market here since the market fell last year because of uh, COVID, which kind of ended quickly as far as the market's concerned. Um, Is is this a fairly valued market? Is this a wildly exuberant market that's way overvalued? What is your general sense before we get into more specifics of the state of the stock market today?
2: Yeah, sure. So I, I don't ever do value. I don't, I don't do that thing. Who am I to know what the proper value is of anything? Um, what I focus more on is what's the price and which direction is it. Really, it's really just price direction. Um, in so if so, I'm afraid I can't give you that. I mean, I, I don't know what the right value of a stock is when the federal funds rate is zero, and mm-hmm. over the last twelve years, the Fed has increased their balance sheet from seven hundred million to seven trillion. I don't know. What, like, when did that happen last? Never. So, for me to, you know, what is that? What should it be valued? I don't know. What should Uber be valued at when there's only four thousand full-time employees making two hundred thousand a year? Now they have their drivers, but they're not employees. So I don't know what a company should be valued at that has no factories. It doesn't have smokestacks. It has a bunch of code being managed by four thousand people who make two hundred k a year. You know, plus or minus. No one knows what that should be valued at. And so I think it's dangerous to look at, you know, valuations from the 70s or the 80s and try to say, well, today it's, it's overvalued or properly valued or fairly valued. No, no one knows that. I, it, it, that's my stake. So I see a market that is going higher, and that's what's going to make a portfolio get bigger is by being in the things that are going higher.
1: Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is R.C. Peck. He is a veteran NLP master practitioner, as you've heard. He's a certified financial planner. His website is fearlesswealth.com, and you can find out more about him at fearlesswealth.com. We'll be back after this. There have been so many people dying this year of COVID, now over 500,000, that it's causing enormous financial distress for survivors who are left behind. Many people do not have close to enough saved up to be able to maintain their lifestyles when the breadwinner of the household dies of COVID or any other cause. You really don't want to leave your spouse and kids with a huge financial burden that they can't handle. The simple solution is to get a life insurance policy, which will pay those who depend on you a death benefit if you die. It makes sense why people get life insurance and especially term coverage which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? If you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder. Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. You just need to uh, apply in a few minutes, and a phone call or laptop allows you to apply very easily. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you find out instantly if you're approved. No hidden fees you can cancel at any time. And since life insurance costs more as you age, now is the time to cross it off your list. So lock in your best rate today and get your family covered with Ladder. Go to LadderLife.com moneyanswers money answers. That's Ladder, L-A-D-T-E-R, life.com t e money answers. LadderLife.com slash money answers and get the life insurance you need.
3: Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big, they call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment no selling no recruiting clients no administering a business after hours visit www.mypassiveincome.life now that's mypassiveincome.life don't let history repeat itself on this one earn a passive income now listen again that's mypassiveincome.life
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is R.C. Peck. Uh, He is the founder of FearlessWealth.com, helps people become better investors. Welcome back to the show, R.C. Thanks. Tell people a little bit of what they can find at FearlessWealth.com. I mean, it's pretty simple. So
2: we train investors, and there's really two types of people that come to us. Either they want to get better at investing, or they want to get better at trading, Typically, by the time someone gets to us, they're probably about 45 or 50 years old. They've gone through two or three big box advisors. They may have gotten lost in the pick of the month newsletter world, whether they paid for all those newsletters or they were free. But they're starting to notice something's not working, right? They, they figured out how to make money and get married and have kids and have the house and put the money in the retirement. But, you know, 45, 50 years old, they're starting to question, wait a second, something's not working, And it's typically because they've been trained kind of in one specific way. And so Fearless Wealth is really that kind of that third party train you to understand how price determines the size of your portfolio and how much of your emotions and feeling and psychology and behavior and mindset is really hurting you because that is really where money is, you know, won or lost. And so... That's that's what we've been doing since nineteen ninety eight, is people come in and we really do rewire their brain in a powerful, simple way, and they're able to take really back control of their money.
1: So you talk about price being the main thing. Does this mean you're a momentum investors and you like to invest in things that are going up and avoid things that are going down? Is that putting it simply?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would drop the word momentum because then we start getting into what momentum is, or, oh, I don't want to be a momentum investor, or I'm, I'm 60 or I'm 50. But I'll say it this way I, we, we believe that if you're in something and that thing you're in, and if it's going up, you're going to have a better future and a better present moment, right? And so understanding price direction is, it really is paramount, right? You can filter out noise and news and BS and hype and fear by knowing how to read a price chart. And I want people to own things that are trending higher. They could be trending higher for two years or for 15 years. We don't get to determine how long, but we get to choose through you know, a sustainable strategy how long we stay in.
1: So are you looking at relative strength or what kind of things on a chart are you looking for uh, to see that the price rising is sustainable? So I'm looking for two things specifically.
2: One is if you're going to go by XYZ, is that thing even going higher, right? Because if it's not, what are you doing? And the answer could be, well, it's a turnaround story. Well, it's a really good buy. Well, it's deep value, right? People are using words to justify buying something that's falling. And then the question is, what does trending higher mean, right? If you look at a price chart over three weeks, it's going higher. You might think that's it. But if it's going down collectively over three years, you know, your money's on the wrong line. So the, the first thing is to really understand how to read a price chart properly. So when you're buying XYZ, ABC, or 1, two, three, it is actually trending higher and breaking higher, and it's got strength, and the, the strong hands own it, and it really is in a, in a bull phase. So that, that's the first thing. The second thing is you don't get to buy anything that's not outperforming the market. Right? Otherwise, just, just go buy the S&P, click a button on your brokerage site, reinvest dividends, and you're going to get your 10% a year on average. Now, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do that, but if you're buying something that is actually underperforming the free stock market rate of return, you're literally inviting trauma into your life or price volatility into your life. And I think that's a really bad idea. So when you see... Um, you know, relative strength. Sometimes people don't know necessarily what that means or what it looks like on a price chart. And so, yeah, I think if you're going to go buy something that's not the market, like an individual stock or a sector or a subsector, that symbol absolutely has to be moving to the upside stronger and faster than the overall market. So, yeah, everything you buy has to have those two things, has to have an uptrend, has to be moving higher and has to be moving higher and better than the overall market.
1: So would you look at the list of new highs as a good hunting ground? Because those are people by the nature of it are going up. Is that a good place to start? I mean, you could. There's nothing wrong with
2: that, right? So a 52-week high. The question I then have is, okay, is it a 52-week high? But if you look back in its history, it's coming into a lot of resistance, right? So if you're looking at a stock that's $72, and that's at a new, you know, one-year high. But back in 2014, 15, and 16, there's just just this range, this huge noise from 72 to 82 dollars, and that stock went sideways for three years. I'd call that buying a stock going into like a weather system, right? Like you don't want to buy a plane that's flying into a tornado or a hurricane because it's going to be pretty dangerous. So, definitely looking. And filtering for stocks that are already making a high is good. What you want to be doing is, and this is super scary to people, they've been taught to be scared wrongly, is to look for symbols that have no past resistance, right? So when you look at left of the chart and zoom out, you don't have huge you know, supply or selling coming in at
1: certain price ranges.
2: So that's going to help a lot.
1: Yeah. Um, so how do you factor in fundamental news, either of an individual company or overall? We just had the stimulus bill passed. Or, or do you not worry about those kind of things?
2: I mean, I, I, probably, I, I don't worry about it in regards to the stock market. Um, I don't look at fundamental information. Um, someone's portfolio does not go up or down based on, based on fundamentals. It goes up and down based on the price of the symbol they own. So my belief is there's about 700 million people on the planet that represent the stock market. They're the richest seven hundred million people on the planet. And though individually they may make very erratic decisions and maybe from time to time there's a madness of the crowd. But over time there's definitely collective wit you know wisdom in that. So those seven hundred million people, the top ten percent of incomers and earners and net worthers on the planet, that's who the stock market is really for. Right? And so If a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill gets passed, those 700 million people collectively are are either putting more money in the market, pausing some of their money, or taking some of it out. And you're going to see the price change in all three of those scenarios. So, I mean, I'm aware of what's going on, but I move over to price charts and look at the U.S. stock market or the European stock market or the Asian stock market or the all-world and say, okay, here's some new information. What's going on? Oh, it's going up. I guess it's good news. So I looked to the stock market and specifically price direction to determine if news is good news or bad news or neutral.
1: So you've written recently about this whole dramatic situation with the uh, GameStop and AMC and all these companies where they were heavily shorted and then uh, the Reddit uh, Robinhood crowd kind of ganged up on them and made the price Shoot up dramatically and then fall. What, what is happening there? Is that a healthy thing, or what is your uh, prescription for what I call flash mob investing? <laughs> they, they pick out the <laughs> latest thing to attack.
2: <laughs> well, I, I don't honestly I don't think it was just Wall Street bets, which was the Reddit subgroup or or Robinhood. It, it's very likely it was hedge funds versus hedge funds. Um. That, that's my my take. I'm sure we'll know in two years what it was. I mean, I'm fascinated by the markets. Like, I'm fascinated by GameStop, a, a company itself. Um, so my 13-year-old and I were talking about GameStop, and he's like, so, and we're looking at the price chart, and he goes, so, so, Dad, that, that company's broken and going out of business. I'm like, possibly. Now, we could debate that, but um, it's not a thriving company. It's not Costco. He's like, oh, that's interesting. The price is going up. I'm like, I know. Price is the only thing that matters. Now, it was done so in a very violent way. Um, but what I, what I love about it is, what if what if the flip, what if the script is flipped? Like, you don't need to go work for J.P. Morgan anymore. You don't need to go do an MBA or a finance degree. Like, it it really does feel like more and more power is giving is being given to the individual investor. Now, what they do with it is a separate conversation, but I'm just fascinated by GameStop or any of the GameStop, you know, quote-unquote, out there because it's all unpredictable
1: and it's all surprising and it doesn't fit into any model. So, so would you, you're, you're talking about liking stocks, the price goes up. I think that would certainly be an example until it went down. So would you be playing yeah. something like that? Uh Classic short squeeze company, basically? Yeah, I mean, this gets into the definition
2: of price going up, right? So it's one thing to just say, well, the price was going up on that. It's like, yep, that was going up parabolically daily. And if you've watched price charts for more than a week, you could probably guess how dangerous a parabolic move is, right? Because the price doesn't turn over on itself. It, It has to give. It kind of falls back down on itself. So there's a a healthy, sustainable trend higher. And then there is, you know, parabolic on top of parabolic, which is what GameStop was.
1: Right. So is this going to continue? I mean, some people say this is with us to stay, what I like to call flash mob investing. They pick today it's silver, tomorrow it's cost, tomorrow it's AMC. They're going to pick on something and make it shoot up and plunge and soar and hurt the – is this a a permanent – Uh, part of our investing landscape now?
2: Gosh, it's hard to say whether it's permanent or not. I mean, it's definitely happening, and it's happening more. Um, Silver is $1.5 trillion in market cap. So if silver was a company, it would be one of the largest companies on the planet. GameStop, before it got taken over, was maybe 1,500 times smaller than silver. So I know the Hunt brothers in 1980 cornered silver, but it's very, very hard to manipulate something that is a trillion dollars or $10 trillion. It can be done, but it's much, much harder to do that than, say, an AMC, which was, I don't know, a couple hundred million dollar market cap, GameStop, which by all accounts was looking like it was going out of business. It's it's easier to, to, to fight these little proxy wars. And I, again, I think it's going to turn out to be a bunch of Rich you know, hedge fund people hurting other hedge fund people. And it's just a little sideshow, right? The overall market's going higher. International markets are going higher. Large cap, small cap, mid cap, micro cap, they're all going higher. And then we have these sideshows that are fascinating, but are just that little sideshows.
1: Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is R.C. Peck. Uh, He is a certified financial planner. You can find out more about what he does at his website, FearlessWealth.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds,
3: investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now, toll free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790.
4: Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to
1: The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is R.C. Peck. He's a certified financial planner. His website is fearlesswealth.com. Welcome back to the show, R.C. Thanks. So you've got several videos you've done about various aspects of uh, investing. One of them is what you call Dr. Gold is right. What can people learn uh, about the overall market by watching gold?
2: So Gold's really interesting. And when you talk about gold, I think you also have to start talking about crypto or at least Bitcoin, but let's just stick with gold. So gold itself has historically been a place or one of the places people go when they're scared. So historically, people go into the U.S. dollar, the Japanese yen, both of those countries' bond market and gold. And gold's not connected to any country. So historically, it's been a place where, man, if things aren't going well, and that's got to be a relative change, right? So if things are really bad, but they're not getting worse, gold's not going to move. So it's that relative difference that gold is picking up. And so interesting thing about gold, it actually did quite well after the COVID crash COVID correction, like it did really well. But then, interesting, it just stopped going up in August after the after the crash. And so for me, it's the change in direction that's most curious. Um, and so gold has a nice way of checking the temperature of the world markets.
1: And why do you think it didn't that keep going up? Because the world was, things were getting, the prospects were, things were getting better, and that's why... Gold didn't keep going up.
2: Yeah, I literally think the the collective crowd said, "Wait a second, you know what? We're good. Things are going the world's not going to end. Things are going okay." And un- unknowingly, unconsciously, people are like, I, "You know what? I, I, I think we'll be okay. I don't need to buy gold anymore, or I don't need to buy as much gold anymore." And I think I'm actually, I think I'm going to be okay. And so gold stopped going up. And I'll tell you. When the U.S. market broke out to new lifetime highs, right? So when it finally broke above its February high of 2020, so the market peaked in February of 2020. Well, guess what happened in August of 2020? The stock market broke out to new lifetime highs. So I think at that point, gold looked over at the stock market, at least the U.S. stock market, said, wait a second. If the U.S. stock market's breaking out to new lifetime highs how bad can things get? And collectively or unconsciously, all the people owning gold was like, oh, wait a second. It's hard to say the world is ending when a new lifetime high is happening on the largest index on the planet. Huh. Okay. I guess I won't put as much money in gold or I guess I'll take my money out of gold. And so it was a great signal to be like, wow, gold's not going up anymore. And since the S&P broke out to those new lifetime highs. It it corrected here and there. Gold's actually been falling since
1: then. I I had a guest on the show last week, Charles Goyette, who said this is a giant, the biggest bubble of all time, all pumped up on artificial money printing, and it's all just going to come crashing down in the worst depression we've ever had in the history of humanity, and gold's going to be the only thing you have left that'll allow you to survive. So he thinks that this is a great opportunity to get into gold, Uh, It's come down a little bit because of all the stimulus bill and the money printing from the Fed and central banks around the world just printing money like crazy. Uh, His view is this is the bubble of all bubbles. What would you think of that?
2: Well, it would have to actually be going up to help you. Gold hasn't been going up since the stock market, the U.S. stock market has made new lifetime highs. The old high of gold was depending if you do intraday or close of day back in 2011 was 1900 bucks. The general rule is it's not making new lifetime highs. It's actually way under, you know, way below that. And if, if we're going to go into a depression and whatever words he used, yeah, money is going to flow somewhere. It doesn't have to go into gold, by the way, it could go in to lots of different things. And so to pick the winner after it or before it has already happened, it just seems more dangerous than not like no. I, I train i train my students to practice it's called practicing detachment but it's really about why do you care what goes up why do you care what goes up why do you care if it's gold or bitcoin it's a fair question to ask why do you care and the answer is, i was taught to care you were taught to care about what that the right thing has to go up what's the right thing the thing i was taught to go up what why do you care if it's Bitcoin or gold or silver or sheep or cotton or lumber or... Jap- like, and I know why questions are very triggering, but it's actually a good question because it's very, it creates polarity. Like, who taught you to care what goes up? And it's, no. it shouldn't matter. What, what should matter is just being able to identify, wait, gold was going up until August 1st or 2nd. Then it stopped. Like it didn't even just jiggly jiggly going. It just stopped and started coming down. Hey, by the way, I was in gold <laughs> after the crash because it was literally the thing going up the fastest. It was crushing it up until August, and yep. then it took you know a couple weeks. To go wait a second, something's going on. Why is it going up? Oh, the market's at new lifetime highs. Wait, gold's weakening. The market's strengthening. One should be taught to care about the relationship between and not these absolutes. So I, I, I don't know the gentleman who you referenced, but I, I find it dangerous to be taught to care what wins. I think it's more effective to just know, hey, what is doing well? Yeah. And then be like, well, what's oh, really doing well,
1: gonna- if, if, if gold is not doing well, what's really doing well right now are cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin soaring well beyond 50,000. Um, so some of people are saying, Bitcoin or cryptos are the new gold, the new alternative currency. Uh, What is your outlook? I mean, they've had tremendous momentum here. Is is it too late, or do you think there's a lot more room to go in cryptos?
2: Well, it it depends what you want crypto for. So, I just wanted—I brought up a tracking symbol, uh, GBTC, which is not Bitcoin itself. It's a—it's a trust that can buy Bitcoin. I just wanted to see what that GBTC did since the August, since since gold peaked. So GBTC, which is a tracking symbol for Bitcoin, is up 270%, right? So it's gone up 270% since the U.S. stock market made new lifetime highs and continues to. During that same time period, GLD, which is a tracking symbol for gold, is down 17%. So the first thing I just want to point out is, you know, this one thing called Bitcoin is going higher, and this one thing called gold is going lower. Bitcoin itself is about a trillion Company. Just think of it as a company. Gold itself is about a nine trillion dollar company. So, look, a trillion dollar company—it's pretty stable. I'm not saying there's not going to be corrections, but if you just look at everything as company size, all things being equal, trillion is a trillion dollars is a legitimate size company. Um, as, as far where where it goes, I, I kind of have this belief that if you're under forty, your gold is Bitcoin. If you're over sixty, your gold is gold. And if you think about when people talk about gold, like, okay, you live in a third world country. You, you want to get out of that country. In the past, you needed you know, to wear your wealth in gold and jewelry and diamonds. Well, now you could just put your wealth in like a little thumb drive and, and cross the border. Like the, the idea, and like, I'm not propping up or diminishing Bitcoin, but I'm talking about how easy it is to, to move with it and you and I, who I, I actually don't know where you grew up, let's just assume we both grew up in the U.S. I did. Like, yes. I'm not thinking about escaping countries and dictatorships. <laughs> but we are we are the lucky ones, you know. Fifty, sixty percent of the world is emerging or frontier markets and not that stable. So I yeah. love this idea that you can literally transfer your wealth with some zeros and ones and arrive across the border. Uh, you know, and be like, okay, I got it here. I mean, I love this idea. And by the way, Bitcoin is 10 years old. It's not 10 days old. The euro is 20 years old. The U.S. dollar is 50 years old. So whether you call it a currency or a technology, it's been around a decade. It survived three 50%-ish falls. It comes back from each one stronger with more people following it. It's still going to have a lot of price volatility but net net of everything you want to look at how bitcoin operates relative to the largest systems in the world bonds and stocks and given that again this goes back to like practicing detachment or practicing why do you care so much what you what what it's called what you own so i think for a long-term um place like if someone's worried you know Actually, let me just be clear. So, I don't think Bitcoin's going anywhere. I think it's here to stay. I don't know about the other five hundred coins and, and whatnot. Bitcoin is basically, um, you know, the S and P five hundred of cryptocurrencies. Yes. And I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's fully here. Now, does it go from fifty thousand to a hundred thousand, back to fifty, up to two hundred thousand? I have I have no idea, and, and no one does. That that's the price volatility that is kind of makes it a bit sketchy. Where gold's not going to do that. So gold's been around five thousand years, and it's not going to go from, you know, one thousand to two thousand to one thousand, most likely. So the volatility on the the Bitcoin's going to be here for a while, but
1: I, it's it's here to stay. You have a program called Investing for Income that you offer at Freelistswealth.com. This is a big problem for people today because the traditional interest rates, uh, CDs, money market funds are pretty much zero, and are going to stay that way as long as the Fed keeps rates at zero for a long time. So what are some ways that people can earn income in this very low-interest environment today? Yeah, it's interesting. We've been taught two things. One, it used to be
2: in 2000, if you gave the U.S. <laughs> your money for 10 years, the treasury bond, you'd get $65,000 a year. So literally, people could buy a bond and, and, and be taken care of. Today, if you do that, it's 15000 So the idea of being able to go to the bond market and get a lower volatile thing, those days are over. Now, are they over completely past tense? There's a chance of it, but it's you definitely can't go there anymore. The other place people go is they go into the, the stock world, equities, right, stock market, and they buy things that have the word income connected to it or the word dividend connected to it. And it can be pretty dangerous because if you buy something, that's called the bloppity-blop income income fund, but if that thing is trending lower or it's underperforming the overall stock market you're actually weakening your position you're making yourself more vulnerable and more fragile simply because you're getting hijacked by the word income or dividend and so what people come to me do come to me to do is to be like great i don't want to be in those downtrending things that have the word income or have a great dividend the good news is there's almost always stocks trending higher that look beautiful and gorgeous and sustainable and are strong companies that do have those 3, 4, 5, 6% dividend yields, and they just happen to also grow your portfolio in a great way. But no one's ever been taught that you can have dividend and income, and the place that's actually hiding is behind the symbols that are already growing. And you know, going up and to the right. We've been taught you either you're either going to be an income person or you're going to be a growth person. It's like whoa, whoa, whoa!
1: You're have you your, your cake your and eat it too, You're <laughs> well, yeah, yes. like
2: absolutely. Like you need income, you need dividends. You're you're not working anymore. Absolutely, it's not where it used to be. Someone moved it. And is there anything wrong being in a stable uptrending symbol that also is giving you 4%, 5%, 6 percent? Once most people are trained to understand what that means. They go, oh my gosh, I can have both. I was taught I was either this or that. I was either a Democrat or a Republican. Like, whoa, whoa, this is not a binary world when it comes to investing. But people yeah. aren't taught that. So in the in, in the training, investing for income, we show them how to get the income they need or want and how to grow their portfolio.
1: Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is R.C. Peck. Uh, he's a certified financial planner And uh, his website is fearlesswealth.com, where you can see all about what he offers. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you,
4: Voice America Business Network.
5: Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing?
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is R.C. Peck. Uh, His uh, website is fearlesswealth.com. Welcome back to the show, R.C. Thanks. So, What would you say is the key to your 90% success rate with investors? So I think most investors are
2: taught to go to the beach and put their back to the water and close their eyes and hire someone or look, look away from the water and hire someone that then tells them what's going on with the water and the waves. And I think it's a mistake. So I think one of the reasons why when people come to me, regardless of their experience it's so effective is they're at the beach, I turn them around, I have them open their eyes and look at the water themselves and they can go, oh, there's the waves right there. I just need to back up a foot or, oh, they sound loud, but they're actually small. So that metaphor leads to most people are investing with their eyes closed and they're basing their life savings on whispers into their ear ears on someone they trust because they, they haven't been taught how to do it. I simply have them open their eyes I train them how to look at a price chart in a powerfully simple way so they can go, oh, got it. The news is scary, but the price chart isn't scared. So who's scared? Oh, I'm scared, not the stock market. Oh, God, I have to think more about if the stock market's scared than if I'm scared. So I train them to ask the right questions, and most people are taught to ask the wrong questions.
1: What are some of the wrong questions that they ask?
2: Um, most of the wrong questions have to do with them. Well, I'm scared. I'm scared, Jordan. So I I need to do something. So I'm not scared. No, no. You first need to understand if the stock market is scared. So one of the first questions to ask is, is the stock market scared? Is the stock market worried? Because if that's where your money is, you probably want to know if that thing is scared and not you. And if you're the one that's scared, then you can start asking yourself, like, who taught me to be so scared when I read? Oh, wait a second. I should turn off Twitter. Oh, got it. I should turn off those blogs. Where is the scaredness coming from? It's not originating in your head. It's coming from outside of it, either something you heard or you read or you saw. So you can start to learn where those sources are and then ask yourself, what's your filter? Most people don't have a filter that filters out all the BS and the noise and the hype.
1: Yeah. Um, So what are the three basic requirements getting growth and income from your portfolio without taking major losses?
2: Number one, buying things that are already doing what you want them to do. Right? So you want to buy, a, let's just call it a symbol, whether it's a stock or an ETF or a fund. You have to buy a symbol that is already doing what you want it to do. So it's already doing the dividend or the income thing, and it's already trending higher. Right. So that's as as trivial as that may sound, buying something that's already doing what you want it to do is absolutely key. The second thing, or maybe we're switching it. That should be the first thing is you have to be able to visually see it. You have to see it. You can't have to trust me or trust you or trust anyone. It's not based on trust. It's based on looking at what you actually own. And so if you're able to see and go, oh, oh yeah, that's normal. That's normal. It's I'm just going to make this up. It corrected 7%. Yeah, that's what this thing does. So the second thing is having to be able to see it. And then the third is knowing after you're able to see it, which is really filtering it and being in something that's already working, is to say, did anything change? So it's really being able to take action. And sometimes most of taking action is just staying in the symbol. But when you put those three things together... What's going to happen is you're going to end up being in something that's already working and you're going to end up staying staying in it a lot longer. You're not working harder. You're not staying up later. It's all happening in the background because you're able to see it and identify, oh, I'm scared or the news is scared or the whatever is scared, not what I own. And when you add those three things together, you're able to safely accelerate your money.
1: So let's take some two examples of when the market fell sharply. In, in 2020, it fell sharply in March and April when the coronavirus was f- coming, and then it came right back. And in 2008, 2009, it fell sharply on the financial crunch and then eventually came back. What lessons can people learn from that? Should they just ride through it, or should they get out when things start going down and then get back in? What are the lessons they should learn when the market does drop sharply?
2: Well, so those two drops were very different. The, the, the one in 2020 was the fastest drop ever. Uh, for the S&P, it was 34 percentage points in 20 trading days or 34 percentage points in 30 calendar days. So that had never happened before. Um, the, the 08 the global financial crisis one, actually was a very slow to start and it accelerated in October, um, but actually peaked the year before. So it was falling for a year before the October Lehman Brothers you know, <laughs> acceleration yeah. to the downside. Most people are not checking what they're doing. They've been taught to be so scared that one day they just wake up and their 401K has been cut in half or they've lost 30 or 40%. So they, ha- they have the experience that it happened overnight. Um, things don't, they rarely happen overnight. So the first thing I'd say is, People just haven't been taught how to actually look at their investments, and they've been taught to have a very, very, very complicated, over-diversified portfolio. So they, have, they have no idea what to check, because they have 50 or 100 symbols. So the first is just to really understand what were they doing going into both of those. Um, but let me answer one of your questions that you asked. I don't believe we should be buy-and-holders or buy-and-forgetters, Seventy-eight uh, percent time, the market's going higher, which means most of the time we want to spend our, you know, have our money in the market. And there's these shorter, but significant periods of time where the market does correct, right? So, oh seven, oh eight, oh nine, the market went from peak to bottom in eighteen months. And so, you want to have a system. It's one of the things I, I train my clients to use: a system that steps you out of the market, not 100 percent to zero, but to take a step out of the market. And then to ask the market again, hey, are you still falling? And if it is, you take another step out. And by the stepping process, stepping in and stepping out, you never get in a position where you hear about someone getting elected in, say, November of 2016. And you take that news as bad for your wealth. And you take all of your money out of the market and you miss out on 2017, which was the smoothest, most awesomest, uptrending market ever. Yeah. So you, you learn to not get scared out, and you learn to look at price. Um,
1: so for people sorry, who are not going to be watching question, it you want carefully, to be a, go, for, for pe- people yeah, who are not yeah, watching carefully, yeah. should they use things like stop-loss orders or automatic sells at a certain, certain percentage below the current market price to protect them if things really do go down sharply?
2: I mean, what I would say is if someone owns the overall market, right, so if they own the overall U.S. market, you could literally go back and say, How many times has the market closed down twenty percent or more? Right, which is which is actually rarely. So you could easily say, if the market closes down, give it some buffer, twenty five percent. Sell twenty five percent of your position. That's a super simple thing to do, which will keep you in the market the majority of the time. If the market closes down twenty percent, then there's and we're talking the market, the S&P 500, right, the largest tracked index on the planet. If it closes down, then that means hmm, things are weakening. And you could easily say, you know, get me a quarter out if that happens. So you could kind of get some dry powder as a way to start to step out of the market.
1: Yeah, very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been R.C. Peck. He's a veteran NLP master practitioner, a certified financial planner, Uh, He has these two programs, one called Investing for Income, another one called Trading Simplified Program. Uh, You can find out more at his website, which is fearlesswealth.com. Thanks so much for being a great guest on The Money Answer Show, R.C. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.